0: Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in experts and authors to help writers of all genres compose more authentic cops, crimes, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, Lee Goldberg steps into the interrogation room to try getting a story straight. Lee has twice been nominated for both the Edgar and the Seamus Awards, and he's the number one New York Times bestselling author of more than 30 novels. He's also written or produced many television shows, including Diagnosis Murder, Sequest, and Monk, and is the co-creator of the Mystery 101 series of Hallmark movies. As an international television consultant, he's advised networks and studios all over the Western world on the creation, writing, and production of episodic television series. Lee's most recent release is entitled Bone Canyon, and it's the second in the series featuring detective Eve Ronan. Welcome to Writers on the Beat, Lee. I am so incredibly grateful for your time and coming on the show to share your expertise with us, sir. Thank you so much.
1: It's absolutely my pleasure. Now, I
0: am sitting on this copy of Bone Canyon that I've um, started reading, and it's an incredible, incredible story that uh, for uh, as, as a reader i love the story itself and as a writer this is uh, almost a textbook in how to do this well and for everyone who doesn't have an advanced copy of this what do you want them to know about bone canyon
1: that they should run out and buy it actually they should buy three <laughs> or four well you got to get the ones for their friends i mean the entire family should be reading this book you can read it aloud together each one of you playing a character yes yes <laughs> I'm trying to write a a different kind of police procedural. I don't know about the, about you, but I'm bored of the middle-aged male detective who's battling an addiction and he's Mm -hmm. divorced and he's got a dark past, a serial killer murdered his family, or he lost a testicle in the war or something. (laughs) And he's brilliant, but his bosses don't appreciate his brilliance. Yes. But he's a deductive genius, supremely self-confident and always brings the bad guy down without any humor whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Yes, My books are, are, are different than that. Eve Ronan is the youngest female homicide detective in the history of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. She didn't get the job because she has the experience or the expertise. She got it through politics, I'd say. She was <laughs> off duty, and she saw a famous Hollywood star beating up on his girlfriend, and she did a citizen's arrest, planted the guy on the ground, and and it was captured by people on their phones. And the video went viral and she was able to leverage that into a promotion. She doesn't know what she's doing. She has some natural skills. She has the drive. She has a relentless dedication. But she makes big mistakes. She doesn't have a dark past. There are no serial killers chasing after her. Uh, and, and she doesn't have the, the, the brilliance yet to know that what she's doing is, is, is always right. And, and, and I think it's, and there's humor. There's a lot of fun in the book as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that makes it a little different than the, the usual police procedurals that are out there. At least I hope it does.
0: No, this is a, a, a definitely a breath of fresh air into the, into the entire genre. And I think in the way that you've assembled this story in making Eve a, a very atypical character, very atypical hero for... Uh, for the genre and then uh, putting around her a really fantastic supporting cast uh, my favorite of which is of course duncan uh, because not only do i love duncan donuts but (laughs) i i really appreciate that um, in putting this together you gave her a partner who wasn't trying to undo her opportunity um, because of the the politics that involved in this thing Um, and i i don't imagine that's an accident
1: No. Uh, In many ways, if you look at this character of Duncan Pavone, overweight, in his late 50s, days away from retirement, he's a walking detective novel Mm -hmm. cliche. And I did that on purpose. I wanted to undermine all the expectations of the cliche (laughs) and what you just said. He's not out to get her. Um, He sees her faults and her her skills, and he sort of helps her along. But he also has a sense of humor, and he's cynical. And, And in some ways, he's the audience. He's able to look at her objectively and criticize her i'm a firm believer that even in the worst situations in our lives there's humor and i find cop novels with no humor except for their morbid humor about you know blood and death and stuff to be horribly unrealistic there's humor in all of our lives and and duncan is is a way for me to add some of the humor in the course of the story
0: Yeah. And I really appreciate also how well you've written these characters, not just to be fully three-dimensional human beings like the rest of us, except for those three sociopaths who listen to the show, all the rest of us are, you know, these fully formed and complex human beings with fallacies and fears and anxieties and the things that make us human. And you've ensured that all of your cops have those same traits and that your criminals have the same traits. And, um, it's an incredibly uh, refreshing thing to see. Um, And I I think it makes it more appealing to not just a broader audience, but also uh, from selfishly as a retired cop, I like that uh, this isn't just going to keep beating the dead stereotypes.
1: Well, nobody's one-dimensional. So characters in a a book shouldn't be either. I learned an important lesson early in my career from a TV writer-producer named Stephen J. Cannell, who did The A-Team and The Rockford Mm -hmm. Files. And he said that your villains have lives. They don't wake up in the morning and go, whoa, I'm going to be evil. They, they, they have people in their lives that they love. They have aspirations. They have insecurities. They don't see themselves as bad. They see themselves as good people who maybe have a profession that that does not go along with convention. And, and, you need, and they're always doing something. They have goals and, and aspirations of their own. They aren't just sitting around waiting to be caught by the cop or working to, to stop the cop, they're going on with their lives. So I try to deal with all my characters. They have more going on than whatever's happening with the hero of the book. They have more going on than just the crime. They have families. They have wants. They have needs. They have fears. They have hopes. And, and I try to, to have that weave through what they say and, and do. And so, so while a character might have bad aspects, you know, maybe there are things you don't like about him or her. There are also things that are that are good. Maybe there's a character who's dumb in some ways, but smart in others. I think there's a real danger in drawing characters who are just one note in, in what they say and do.
0: And looking at your writing career um, as you're speaking, um, the having been involved with the, the the monk series, I mean that is. Um, Kind of an incredible example of, you know, writing characters who are unusual, unconventional, and um, still have, you know, a really nice fit into into these stories.
1: Monk is a good example of what I'm talking about. He could easily have become Inspector Clouseau or Mm -hmm. Maxwell Smart a cartoon character where all he was was his obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm -hmm. But I think what made monk so memorable and the reason why he touched so many of us as a character was because of the innate sadness in who he was, what he was missing out on in life, the tragedy that exacerbated his OCD, his loneliness, his separation. So while you were laughing, you were also caring. You you Mm -hmm. were feeling for him. You felt the pain that underscored all the humor in, in the books and in, in the TV series. Um, I, I should say I wrote for the TV show, but I also wrote 15 uh, original Monk novels, two mm-hmm. of which became episodes of the show as well. So I think finding that the, the Monk was a fully rounded character and not just a, the, the funny aspects of, of, of his behavior is what made him so memorable and what made him so watchable and readable. And it's a good lesson for anybody who's writing a detective character. You, you you've got to make him more than just the detective. You have to make him more than just full of cheap conflicts. By cheap mm-hmm. conflicts, I mean the easy ones. Yes. His family was murdered by a serial killer. Um, mm-hmm. you know, his wife has divorced him, and he never sees his kid. And or he was injured in the war. That you always have those. Or he's an alcoholic or a drug mm-hmm. addict. It's been done. It's been done. Find other things that we can all relate to. Uh, Eve Ronan the the heroine of my novels she there's no serial killer in her past there's no war Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's no alcoholism or drug abuse or anything she's just a normal person with a normal family with brothers and sisters and parents that's the other thing you rarely see these characters having family lives in these books Mm -hmm. because it takes you away from the central drive of the of the crime and I think some authors get too obsessed with the the detective story and forget that what people really remember, what they bond with, are the characters.
0: And I think that that is, is such an incredibly important point, right? Aside from, you know, the, the legacy characters that we've grown up with, that have become institutions like Sherlock Holmes. Like, I, I don't ever remember even hearing that Sherlock Holmes ever had a date, much less a relationship. Um, but modern fiction readers and people, especially if they're just being introduced to a series, to a character, to an author. Those characters are exactly what is going to keep them turning the page. Circumstance helps, but they have to care about them. They have to be able to relate to them, and they have to want to know what happens to them next.
1: Yeah, you know, we don't remember the cases as much as we remember the, the characters. And I, I would argue that Sherlock Holmes was actually a complex character. That's true. He never had a date. Why not? Why was Watson so important to him? Why was he a cocaine addict? What was his relationship with his brother? Why is he so um, isolated from the world that all he can do is is deduct what other people are doing because he hasn't lived it himself? I mean, Sherlock Holmes has endured, I would argue, because he's such a complex and fascinating and damaged character. Brilliant, but also pathetic. Um A celebrity but also very much alone it's a is a great character and that those character traits that are so fascinating have endured for decades and will endure for centuries same same thing about some of the other characters that we we love harry Bosch, um john rebus Mm -hmm. characters that that are more than just their detective abilities or or tragedy in their lives they are well-drawn complex interesting characters
0: now in one of the major themes of this podcast is that for most writers it only takes about a decade of blood sweat and tears to become an overnight success and i wonder what your journey was like from aspiring writer aspiring screenwriter to Uh, best-selling novelist and and acclaimed uh, acclaimed author?
1: I'm going to upend your whole paradigm. (laughs) (laughs) Please do. I started out as a huge success and have been basically maintaining or trying to maintain my career ever since. I sold my first novel when I was 19 years old. Wow. And my book came out. It was a book about a vigilante. And my book came out the same week this guy Bernard Getz blew away some muggers on a New York subway train. So my book became an instant national bestseller. New World Pictures bought the movie rights, hired me to write the screenplay. And so my novel writing and screenwriting career were born at the same time while I was still in college. Wow. And so I started out really big, and then I had, you know, peaks and valleys. I've had, you know, really wonderful years, really bad years. I mean, big ups and downs. I mean, I wrote for the New Adventures of Flipper. How much lower can you get? I mean, I've, I've had you know, years where I've worked and had lots of success, and years where I was thinking, "Well, I better find a new, a new thing to do." So mm-hmm. for me, it's been a it's been about sustaining a career, um, you know, still managing to make a living at it, supporting my family. I don't haven't measured my career based on critical acclaim or fame as much as I have just paying my mortgage and tuition and everything else from my writing and just my writing. And I've had a dual dual track career as a television writer producer. I, I wrote and produced Diagnosis Murder and Sequest and Spencer for Hire and Nero Wolfe, a bunch of other shows, while at the same time writing books. Uh, so when one side of my career let me down, the other one would lift me up. Like even now, um, I would say at this moment, I'm much more known as a novelist. My my books are doing really, really well, but I'm still actively involved in TV. I have a series on Hallmark called Mystery 101 that I co-created. I don't I don't produce the show, but it's a it's a big success. And they just made I think their sixth or seventh movie. So I'm still I'm still involved in television, Mm -hmm. but. right at the moment, uh, books are, are at my forefront and that could shift in a year. I mean, it, it, my, my job has just been as a writer, I'm going to make my living as a writer and, uh, just hope I can keep plugging along.
0: Now you were the, the first novelist and screenwriter that I've had on the show. And I think this is going to be episode about 103 and the other folks who've come on, who've either had their books made into movies or, um, are actively, um, we're, we're seeking kind of both venues at the same time. Uh, they generally have uh, either sent the screenwriting off to a professional screenwriter or they have worked in a team, uh, a novelist with a screenwriter together. Um, and I wonder what you see as the difference between those two things and, and how you put those different hats on to, to meet the audience.
1: Well, they're very different hats. They're two very different ways of writing, two very different mediums, two very different businesses. I have not, most of the stuff I've done in television and in movies have not been based in any way on my own books. I've been working on other shows, other people's ideas, adapting other people's books. Um, Now, right now, several of my books have been optioned for television and film. I'm only involved in one of them. I'm involved in the movie adaptation of my novel, The Walk. Mm-hmm. But my Eve Ronan novels, Lost Hills and Bone Canyon, my Ian Ludlow novels, um, True Fiction, Killer Thriller, Fake Truth, they're being developed as TV series right now, and I have nothing to do with them. Um, I'm relying... Because I work in TV, I know how important it is to let the showrunner go with their vision. That a TV series their job is not to honor my book. Their job is to turn my book into a TV show that the showrunner is enthusiastic about, that the showrunner can generate you know, dozens and dozens of episodes. They have to make it their own. So in those cases, I've told the producers, I'll be as involved or uninvolved as you want. If you want me just to sit back and cash the checks, I'm glad to do it. If you want me to weigh in with my comments, I will. If you want me to be an active writer-producer on the shows, I'm glad to do that as well it's up to you i've stayed out of their way because i've been on the other side of that or i've been on shows based on books where the writer of the novels has been an enormous pain in the ass Mm -hmm. or you know they've stayed (laughs) away um and i I see and I, i know what it's like to adapt books for television and film it's a hard hard job and i don't see my job when i'm doing that as fealty to the author so I have a realistic view of where I fit into that relationship. My advice to most novelists would be get the hell out of the way of the writer, the screenwriter or the TV writer, and let them do their job. But First, if you look at the TV show Bones, Mm -hmm. based on Kathy Reich's Temperance Brennan novels, it has very, very little to do with the books. And yet that show was a huge success and ran for 12 years. Do you think Kathy minds that they made giant changes? I can tell you (laughs) she doesn't.
0: Yes. No. And I, I think that's, you know, an incredibly difficult thing too, though, for uh, for creatives um, who have this piece of their soul that's out there. Right. And, um, you know, to be able to step back from that, remove your perspective, your ego from this other product with the same or a similar name, um, I would wager most folks would have a hard time doing that unless they stay focused on the check. I guess I can cash checks. Let's, let's give it a shot. I try. don't I don't know that I agree with that either. Um, Most
1: successful authors I know are smart business people. And they realize that their books are a product and that they control the printed product and that the TV show or movie, even if it's very different becomes a giant billboard advertisement for their books. Their books will always exist. So even if Robert B Parker wasn't thrilled with Robert Urich as -hmm. Spencer or some of the stories they did, he saw what it did for his bottom line, what it did for his books mm-hmm. and how it made his books more saleable. And I think most authors I know are, who are successful are wise enough to realize that television is a different medium. And even if they television makes their character an animated dog, if it sells books, it makes people more aware of the brand, then that's a good thing. I mean, I, I don't, I'm certain, in fact, I know that, that, um, they're making some changes to my books. They have to, in order to make it a TV series, they have to make changes and, and the changes they're making in one case, they told me what the changes are. And I would say I agree with half of them and half I don't, but it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I'm not the one who has to do that show every week. They have to be excited about it. They have to be invested in it. So if they make some changes to make it a, a workable series, then I'm fine with that. People can always discover my books and, and, and decide which they like better or enjoy both.
0: You know, I do also find, um, hopefully this won't be a third contrarian point, but I do also find that uh, a lot of writers uh, along the way had some, some guiding light, some mentor, um, someone who helped hone their craft, helped uh, their career along the way. I wonder if you've had any, any mentors in, in your professional life.
1: Oh, absolutely. Probably the biggest mentor in my professional life is someone you've never heard of. His name is Michael Gleason. He's passed away some time ago. He was the oh, writer sure creator of Remington me. Steel.
0: I loved Remington and Steel. That's one of my favorite shows growing up.
1: He um, gave that. me my first television staff job on a short-lived series called Murphy's Law, starring George Siegel, based on a series of books by Warren Murphy, which we changed radically. Um, but <laughs> And yet Warren became a friend of mine, but that's another story. And mm-hmm. um, I learned so much from him and also from another producer on the show named Ernie Wallengren who worked on the Waltons and Falcon crest and a number of oh, other wow. series. They, they taught me so much about not just being a writer, but being a good person about being a, a producer who can get the best out of other writers. And I hear Michael's voice in my head all the time when I'm writing or plotting, I hear Ernie's voice too. And, and Steve kennel was a big, big mentor as well. I, it, because most of my day-to-day working life was in television, I would say most of my my mentors have been television writer-producers. And a lot Mm -hmm. of the lessons they taught me about writing have translated seamlessly to writing books as well. In terms of mentors for novels, it's been less about personal relationships than relationships with books. I love Larry McMurtry's books. Mm -hmm. I love Robert P. Parker's early books. I love Elmore Leonard's books. I love Mm -hmm. John Irving's books. There's so many books that I love that were touchstones for me i think a really big one was gregory mcdonald's fletch now there's a good example the fletch <laughs> novels are fantastic the fletch movies are wretched but made the fletch novels even more successful than mm-hmm. they were before so even bad movies can help out a uh, a series of novels
0: yeah now i wonder if since we've spoken so much specifically here about uh character character development, Um, Are there, if you were to recommend a few books or a few places for aspiring writers to go to learn about that aspect of the craft, where would you send them?
1: I would send them to whatever book they love the most. If there's a book that really compels you, that you thought was terrific, read it once for pleasure, then go back and read it for technique. What was it about this scene that made you laugh? How did the writer make you laugh? What was it about this scene that made your heart race? How did how they do that with words? How did they make you care about this character? Why did this character stick with you? you everything that writer did is right there in your hands. There's nothing hidden. There's no magic trick. It's right there mm-hmm. on the page. So I would say go back and study the books that you loved and try to figure out how they did it. Moreover, study the books that sucked. Why did this book... <laughs> not work yes. for you? Yes. What, what was it that turned you off? At what point did you say, screw this and throw the book across the room? Mm-hmm. What mistakes did that writer make and how can you avoid them? If you find yourself getting bored in a book, ask yourself, why am I bored? If you find your, your heart racing, ask yourself, when did my heart start racing? What was it that did it? Was it the words? Was it stuff that happened hundreds of pages earlier that's paying off now in some way? Analyze the technique because it's right there in front of you. You don't have to take classes. The book itself is a class. Mm-hmm.
0: And I always like to close out our episodes with a, a hypothetical, if you're willing to play along, Lee. Um, I'd like to propose, uh, God forbid it should ever come to pass, but if you were to wake up tomorrow and find yourself in a situation somewhat similar uh, or uh, based on the the opening of of Bone Canyon, although you're the bones that have been found, and you've unfortunately been murdered. Uh, aside from Eve Ronan, what two fictional investigators would you assign your own homicide? Harry Bosch and
1: Adrian Monk, and they should work together just so I can see them try to kill each other. <laughs> yeah, I want to watch that
0: show. <laughs> That would be fantastic. Lee, I greatly appreciate you coming on. Where can readers uh, keep up with you? Maybe find out about works in progress or uh, newsletters, stay in touch with you and your releases.
1: Oh, I'm very, very hard to find. You can find me at (laughs) leegoldberg.com or Lee Goldberg (laughs) on Facebook or Lee Goldberg on Twitter. Lee Goldberg anywhere. That's me.
0: Perfect. I am so, uh, so happy that you came in to talk to us, Lee. I'm, I'm grateful and honored for your time, sir. Thank you so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. You've been listening to Writers on the Beach, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been number one New York Times bestselling author Lee Goldberg. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.